0: This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brownman. Baseball? Yes, there will be baseball. Um, I I sincerely hope it's close to that 80, 81, 82 game figure.
1: Here's the deal. I start hearing a lot more people getting angry with baseball. I think I'm going to be one of those.
0: Two-time Rockies pitcher Latroy Hawkins on baseball's negotiations, his time with the Rockies, and Black
2: Lives Matter. So many people in my life that I saw in George Floyd's that could that could easily happen to, you You know, our interactions, African-Americans interactions with the police is not like your interaction with the police, Drew.
0: This is the Drew Goodman podcast with Julie Broman. Hey, everybody. Welcome to edition number 48 of the Drew Goodman podcast with Julie brownman I'm Drew. Julie, you'll hear in like nanoseconds. Julie, your turn.
1: Oh, my God. Like right now. How's it right going?
0: Good. Yeah, doing well. You know, I'm really excited. We have Latroy Hawkins, who's an old friend and was a was a terrific Rocky. Two stints with the Rockies. Hawk is going to be on with us in a little bit. Uh, an interview we taped less than 24 hours ago, and he has always been a very compelling, interesting figure. And I thought it would be apropos to have him this week because, uh, number one, to talk about the most important topic that uh, we have uh, all been discussing the last couple of weeks about Black Lives Matter and uh, the horrific death of George Floyd, not to mention a number of others. And we talked to uh, LaTroy about that. We also talked to him, Julie, about the negotiations between the Players Association and Major League Baseball. Hawk, like Michael kadire before him, now part of the Minnesota Twins front office. And like Michael kadire he had been a player rep at different times in his career. So that's two boxes that he checks off. And then the third one, we talk about his, uh, his career and his time, specifically with the Rockies, of course, a member of the World Series team in 2007. So... Uh, I, I think people really enjoy that.
1: And he also is, I believe, the godfather. The godfather? Is that right? The, go-
0: he's the um, godfather, yes. Of, don't, don't tell people. To give them the tease. They're going to have to listen to find out what famous <laughs> athlete, a current athlete, not necessarily in baseball, is he the godfather of?
1: Well, I just said it. It's Patrick Holmes.
0: You said it? Yeah. You ruined the whole thing. I
1: think um, a lot of people know that. I think a lot of people, because when we knew that, because we knew LaTroy, and LaTroy would always talk about Patrick Mahomes, right? Because he was his godfather. That came out after Patrick Mahomes started playing like a boss. You know? We always knew it. But uh, And LaTroy Hawkins is a, just a fantastic guy. So as we always pretty much start the podcast with our What's Hot segment brought to us by Boyers. Here's what's hot.
0: I can tell you what's hot. I can what? tell you who's not hot. What? Neither one of us right now.
1: That's not very nice.
0: No, you're hot. You're I'm yourself. sorry. That's not right. Should, like you're That's more of a hot. self-deprecating thing. And I dragged you down the road with me. And that's not fair because you <laughs> are smoking hot.
1: Um, I'm yeah. not. I mean... You know, um, I I, yeah. I tend to agree with what you first said, but anyway, okay. What's hot? MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred says he's a hundred percent sure there's going to be baseball in 2020. Woo That's what's hot.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've kind of known this. He has this card in the in in his back pocket, Julian. I know that's what you're alluding to. That yeah. and the players understand this. That he can, based on the March agreement, which they don't agree on much in the March agreement, even though they have the, all these high-powered lawyers and high-priced lawyers who who you know, signed their names to it and wrote the language behind it, but they can't agree on what exactly it said. They do agree on this much, that the commissioner can unilaterally implement a certain number of games and the players would be pa- paid prorated. So- most people believe if he were to do that and he doesn't want to have to do that he wants to negotiate a settlement so both parties are somewhat happy uh, but he could anywhere from 48 to 54 games you know which is barely a third of a season it's not even if you if you're playing 48 or 50 uh, he could implement that and and so there will be baseball but if he has to do that if they don't come to an agreement
1: let me tell you let me hop in there first Uh, today is reporting that i mean they're anonymous major league baseball executives saying if they can't reach an agreement by next week he's going to do that he's going to do exactly that
0: well they're running out of time so I, i i think that's that's fair um i'm hopeful because they're inching closer to each other, at least in in number of games. The Players Association, understandably, they're not coming off. that They want full pro rata. Um, the owners don't want to give them that. We'll, we'll see how this plays out the rest of this week. We're, again, taping uh, this week on a Wednesday night. Uh, but, Julie, yes, there will be baseball. Um, I, I sincerely hope it's close to that 80, 81, 82 game figure mm-hmm. because I think that in all that's going on is more representative of a baseball season of some degree of length. Right. If you play well, 50 games, come on, man. That's.
1: Here's the deal I start hearing a lot more people getting angry with baseball. I think I'm going to be one of those. I think I'm going to be one of those. And I love baseball, but if they have to go to the 50 game season, and then it's about players opting out, and everybody's bitching about everybody, Drew, it's going to be really tough to love this game immediately and forget that. I'm just going on record as that.
0: Which no, is- I think, Julie. Listen, I think I think not only are you right. I think the players will, if that is forced down their throat, if they can't come to some negotiated agreement, I think you'll see players not do interviews. I think the, they'll make themselves, um, you know, not cooperative, if you will, because they don't want to do anything to aid. Major League Baseball. The trump card that they have is talking about the players, Jules, is that the owners would like to expand the playoffs because they get more money from national television if there's expanded playoffs, because then there are more games on national television. It makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Well, they can't do that without the blessing of the players. So the players won't go along. If they get force fed a 48 or 50 game season, the players aren't expanding the playoffs. So the owners are going to make less money in the postseason. I still think they will come up with a number. My guess is it'll be somewhere in the mid to upper seventies. And, and they've, You know, maybe the players will come off the 100 percent and it'll be 90 percent. Maybe it'll be 85 percent and some will be deferred. I think ultimately that will be what uh, what they settle on.
1: So we're going to hear from somebody. Let's get to this interview right now, because it's a really good interview that you did with Latroy Hawkins. And he has a lot to say about just that. He has a lot to say about what's happening in our country and and very um, it's kind of a look into what he's experiencing, you know, and I think that that's a perspective that we all need to hear. But first, let's talk about Boyer's Coffee. They're accepting online orders. Again, just go to boyerscoffee.com to place your order. You know, we're a big Boyer's fan. They have Aspen Gold. It's their number one selling medium roast. They're back. It is a new name. So you can get it at online or your local grocery store. Boyer's also introducing the Colorado Story Sweepstakes. We talked about this last week, Drew. This is exciting. Um, They're asking their customers to share their experience with Boyer's Coffee through the web form entry or on social media posts on Facebook or Instagram. You want to follow them. So every week, Boyer's is going to select a winner, and they're going to win a T-shirt, meaning how does Boyer's Coffee play a role in your Colorado experience? They're a Colorado company. Whether you've been to a game at Coors Field, which you have, which you have a Boyer's Cup of Coffee every single night before the game, or you sat down with Bill Boyer himself at their old site, which is on Washington, just go to boyerscoffee.com backslash Colorado stories, tell your story and you might be able to win a Colorado crafted t-shirt. So we're so excited to bring that new news to you about Boyer's coffee. They're moving forward at a rapid pace.
0: Yes, they are. And I know you and I both talked to Caitlin this week who uh, runs all their marketing and they're excited about being able to bring Boyer's back to your uh, doorstep Uh, once again. So it's been an exciting week for Boyer's Coffee and uh, we're thrilled that uh, we're partners together on this podcast. We're also thrilled that we're partners with Ideal Home Loans, Brent Ivinson's company. They've been... uh Dealing uh, great loans for people, handling people's uh, business since 2001. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau because they're fantastic at what they do. They they really are a bunch of good people that uh, you're going to go back to. I mean, if if you're a family, it's, it's probably not the only time you're going to buy a home, especially if you're a young family. You may be refinancing at some point, and you're going to keep going back to them. They have so many repeat customers. I am one and interest rates, as I'm sure you're aware, are at historic lows right now. So give them a call at 303-867-7000. Again, it's Ideal Home Loans, 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000. You'll be glad you did. They're going to take great care of you. Give them a call right now because it's going to help you save money. And Lord knows we all need to save some money right now. And every week they bring us our interview of the week. And it's the former Rocky on a couple of occasions, uh, a fascinating guy, Latroy Hawkins. Well, Hawk, it's always good to catch up with you. And I I found you to be uh, a fascinating guy when you were playing for the Rockies on a couple of stints, because you love to discuss things that were outside of baseball. You you love reading, um, you know, a lot of times you were curled up on a couch five hours before a game, and you weren't reading Baseball America, which I always found that uh, kind of neat.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, it was more delight life than baseball. And as you caught me early in my career, Drew, you probably would have found me doing some of those things we just mentioned. But yeah. as you get older, you mature. Um, you know, knowledge is power, and I just wanted to you know. Learn something other than just baseball. Let me ask you this, because most importantly,
0: before we talk about baseball negotiations and a, and a marvelous 21-year career that you had and, and so many, uh, I'm sure, fond memories in Colorado, uh, this country has really, I think, taken a, a long look at themselves in the mirror over the last couple of weeks Were you ultimately surprised that finally so many people said enough is enough?
2: Um, It's a complex question, Drew, but I think um, I think America has gotten so desensitized to African-American males being gunned down. Um, And gunned down, we're talking about, you know, being killed by a gun, bullets. Um, I don't think America ever be desensitized to watching a grown man being choked to death in broad daylight for the world to see. I think that wasn't that was that was a defining moment of pro- police brutality. What African American males and minority have been saying for as long as <laughs> I can remember, saying my grandfather's 94 years old just passed away a month ago today. And yeah. as long as he could remember, you know, the world got to see it. And like you're right, they said enough is enough. Because um when you when you look at that video, I've only watched it once. It just it, it brings back, you know, some memories for me, like that could be me, that could be my brother, that could be my cousins, um, you know, just so many people in my life that I saw in George Floyd. that could could easily happen to you. You know, our interactions, African-Americans' interactions with the police is not like your interaction with the police, Drew. Uh, When you get pulled over, you don't have anything to worry about. When we get pulled over, we have to worry about if that police had a bad day at home, he mad at his wife, uh, did he get reprimanded at work that day, and looking for somebody to take it out on. And, you know, I always tell people leaving the ballpark when we leave the ballpark and we leave our bubble and leaving that bubble we become we become um terrified you know police get behind you and you got everything you're supposed to have you know correct and you know like i said you have a bad day and you take it out on you and you know most times people match attitude with attitude and it just don't go right but yeah. you know, having had that talk with, with my you know my daughter, she's 18, she's in L.A., she's out there protesting every day. She's out there protesting, and I think that our younger generation, um, as it's funny, I'd say it like that, but as soft as we thought they were, they showed us how actually how strong they really are. Because you see, you know, African Americans, you see Caucasian people, you see every ethnicity coming together and walking side by side because everybody is sick and tired of systematic racism, police brutality. I mean, it was just a huge, I mean, and we need our Caucasian brothers and sisters to walk beside us because when we protest, it goes unheard or the narrative gets changed. We go unheard or they change the narrative. Change the narrative, I'm referring to Colin Kaepernick. But. Now that everybody's, you know, things don't get changed until the minority, the, the majority gets tired mm-hmm. and the majority is tired of, you know, black men and women losing their lives in the hands of the people who are supposed to protect them.
0: You know, we learn as children, hopefully most of us do, that you can never, and I was speaking about this last week, you can truly never walk in someone else's shoes how much do you think this ultimately will not only open the eyes but keep the eyes open for action uh for people white folks and and that that don't truly and can't truly understand the black experience in our country here in 2020
2: well i don't i think like i would like to say that we don't we don't need you to understand the the um the experience, a black experience, I just need you to know that there is one and recognize that it's one because you'll never experience, you'll never really completely understand it because you'll, you there's a good chance you won't ever, you won't ever have to deal with that. But as long as people recognize that there is a disparity in this country, inequality, people get treated completely different. Systematic racism is a huge problem. You know, my brother just got home from doing 24 years in prison. 24 years. And now I'm watching, you know, I'm doing my research on mass incarceration. He went to prison in 1995 for a crime that should have warranted 27 years. 27 years. And they've built in prisons and they have to put bodies in these prisons, so what they do is is get African American men and minorities caught up on on minor offenses and give them all this excessive time, or they put them on – they they arrest them on, on BS charges and then make them take a plea bargain to something that they didn't do because they tell them if you go to trial, it's either it's either 30 years or three years – 30 years, or you do three years if you admit to doing it. And what do most people do? You're going to take the 30 years, you're going to take the three years. Sure. It puts you in a bad spot, and if you do it, I mean, you get a, a, a whole ethnicity like that, man. It was it, it, it was terrible, and my brother wouldn't take the plea. He had a plea for six years. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not admitting to doing something. I'm not admitting to do it. And then they give these the young men these shifty, you know, representation who are just trying to, you know, make a quarter. Mm-hmm. It's Costs, it, 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 it's just terrible, man. It is terrible. So many lives that it affected just absolutely decimated the black community. And, you know, people say, well, the black community is this, is that. My grandfather told me slavery taught black people how to survive under the worst under the worst conditions, Drew, but it didn't teach us how to live. Slavery taught us how to survive. Everything was you always in survival mode, but it never taught us how to live. And, you know, that rings true. But, you know, hopefully with this younger generation, you know, and help from my generation that, you know, we're we're starting to to have our voices being heard and we're going to change some legislation. We will hold some police departments accountable for their actions. Um, We're going to get some, some, um, the same funding to go into the inner city school system um, so they can get an education like my daughter got at her school. I mean, there's a lot of things that we could be doing, a lot of things.
0: Let me ask you this, your experience in baseball, because when I grew up, uh, the African-American participation at the major league level w- was above 25%. And I think toward the very end of your career, it was probably down around seven, eight percent. It, it's still kind of holding there. I, I know major league baseball has made inroads in the inner city, um, but uh I, I use that as a preface to this question. It is still outside of Latin America. It is played um, more exclusively by, at the major league level, by white kids. And a lot of times they're they're from rural parts of the country. And that doesn't mean to paint with a broad brush that everybody who's, a, you know, from a, a white kid from rural America is automatically a redneck. Um, but what was your experience in baseball and how many quote-unquote real conversations about race, which is a very difficult conversation for most people, did you have through
2: more than two decades in play? You know, Drew, I I can very – it's so hard to remember early on having conversations like that because my career lasted so long. It's almost like when somebody say, what was your best moment in your career – God, I always have to pick something from the last ten years because that's all I really remember. Well, you played started in ninety, right? I started in the nineties, the mid nineties, and and I finished five years ago in two thousand fifteen. So I really don't remember having any like conversations like that. I I think I I I think I remember having to defend some of my Latin brothers and sisters, brothers, some of my Latin brothers. Because of the language barrier and, um, you know, some of my Caucasian teammates just not really taking the time to fully understand where these guys are from, you know, who they are as people, you know, how far they, they had to travel to get where they where they are. And, you know, and back then it wasn't cell phones and things like that. So just having conversations with my teammates about, man, you know how hard it is for these guys? You know, they didn't have FaceTime back then. They were buying Spending all the whole money on 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 um phone cards going to Seven Eleven and then going to the payphone to call to be able to call their parents and some of them didn't see their parents for six to eight months at a time. You know, being an American, you don't have that. You don't, you never you would never know that stress. Never know that stress. Never. So I think my more more of my conversations early on was trying to get some of my Caucasian teammates to understand, like you know. Don't be so negative towards the guy, just try to, you know, try to learn his language because, you know, we're forcing them to come here and learn our language, which is tough enough, you know. It's not a bad thing to probably meet them halfway, you know, just don't forget there are two different cultures, your culture, our culture here, and their culture there. It's completely different. You know, so those are the type of conversations I, I, I kind of vaguely remember having early on and, you know, I was a, I was a guy in the clubhouse. I didn't like any of the music playing the N-word or calling women bees and all that stuff. You know, I, I wasn't into that. I, you know, I tried to control the music and if you wanted to hear stuff that needed to say those type of words, then you can, you know, put your headphones on. So I tried to, you know, keep, you know, at least racial harmony in the clubhouse because right. I didn't think it was fair that I had to listen to it and I have a daughter. And I didn't think it was fair that my Caucasian teammates had to to listen to it and feel uncomfortable every time they they heard it. And I thought, and I also said that, you know, the more somebody hears something, the more desensitized they come to it. Just like the more you see something, the more desensitized you come to it. And I didn't want it ever to be an issue with um, using a derogatory statement in the clubhouse, you know, either way. And hopefully, well, I know I did. A, hopefully, I know I did a good job of you know nipping that in the bud, or it would even started to seep out. In your
0: 21 years, did you did you have any issues at all um, with teammates or um, in in maybe leaving the ballpark when you played that had everything to do with the color of your skin and nothing else?
2: Never with a teammate. I can't say that I had that with a teammate. I don't. I would like to think that I, I give enough respect that I command that type of respect that, um, a teammate wouldn't even try me like that. And I would like to think that a lot of my teammates who have questions about, you know, about race, that we probably could have a conversation and understand, try to come to an understanding. But no, I didn't, I, I never, never had that issue before. Right. And that's weird after having such a long career, but no.
0: Yeah. Let let me ask you one more
2: question. Um, With young
0: kids who want to aspire to play baseball, are we doing enough? And do you one day see uh, the game of baseball, which obviously you adore, where rather than, you know, one or two, you know, black faces uh, outside of Latin American kids uh, on a team where, where it's more like when you and I, I, I can put you almost in that category, you're not quite as old as I am, but when we were growing up, where it was, there, were, there were a lot more players from this country um, from either inner city backgrounds or of color than are in the game today.
2: Yeah, you know, I think Major League Baseball is doing a pretty good job. I, I, I would do some things with, with um, Tony Regans and Dale Matthews uh, they both work in Major League Baseball, and they do the uh, breakthrough series over MLK weekend where we bring in, you know, African-American kids from all over the country the pitchers and catchers, and this year they added the position players. Um, we work out at the Tempe Diablo Stadium, stay at that Marriott right there, and then in the summer we do the EBI down at Vero Beach, uh, Old Dodger Town, and we bring like 100 kids in and play games, and it's all minority kids, and... We've had a lot of kids drafted over the last four years. Um, so there's, a, there's definitely an a influx of African-American kids in the minor league systems right now. And we've had some, some African-American kids go pretty high in the draft. 2017, you had Royce, Royce Lewis with the Twins go first pick overall, and Hunter Green with the Cincinnati Reds go with the second pick. So, you know, They're coming. They're coming and, and maybe baseball's doing a really good job. I mean I know that because I'm I mean, I'm at the ground level with you know, in their camps, you know, helping out. And these kids are getting drafted. These kids are getting scholarships to universities to go to go play baseball, the ones who aren't ready for professional baseball and we've had some guys that go to college and you know, this year, you know, it would have been the year that someone would have had a chance to be drafted. So it's working. Um that problem wasn't created overnight, and I don't think it's going to be fixed overnight, but maybe Baseball is doing a very good job uh, with the Breakthrough Series and the EDI Series during the summer. Yeah, that's great to hear. We're going to segue now, talk about baseball
0: negotiations, something that uh, you understand very well because during your career at different times, you were a player rep. So what phrase or adjective would best apply right now to how you view this as we tape this on a Tuesday night and there's still a stalemate? You are dismayed, you are embarrassed, or you view it as, this is business as usual between the Players Association and and Major League Baseball?
2: Uh, It's business as usual. Um, You know, I think it has more to do with the collective bargaining agreement that's on the horizon. Um as opposed to, you know, COVID, they're going to have to come to some kind of agreement. And if we don't have baseball, we all have to understand that at the end of the day, as a business, both sides are going to try to get the best deal that, you know, they can get. And we're going to have to sit back and just get some popcorn and watch this play out. <laughs> it's really nothing we can do about it. Do you find it frustrating? I mean, I
0: working in baseball. You still work in baseball in the front office of the Minnesota Twins. It, it it's more frustrating. I think back to '94, and and that was exasperating. And uh, you know, some people, when you caught fans, you know, left the game. Did they leave forever? Who knows? It's hard to ever quantify that. But it definitely damaged the game. Now you're talking about a worldwide pandemic. The economy has been devastated. There's so many people unemployed, people who are taking furloughs, et cetera, and yet the sports headlines. When it comes to baseballs, they can't come together, and they're not even going to be able to get on the field, uh, you know, by the Fourth of July, which was one of their stated goals.
2: Yeah, it's it's um it's understandable because I've you know I'm on on the other side now, but I was on the player side. I get it. Um, there's so many layers to it that people don't understand. And I think if the fans did a little bit more homework on trying to understand the collective bargain agreement and, you know, where it is and what each side's fighting for, I think they have a better, you know, a better appreciation for what's going on and get outside, get outside of their own feelings of, you know, well, we got a pandemic. Uh, the players are greedy. And it's funny how they always think the players greedy. That is funny to me because, the players only can make the money that the owners pay them. <laughs> you never hear the fans say the owners are greedy. I don't get it, but um, that's part of it, and and there's so many layers to it. And I and I just I always refer back to the what's on the horizon, and that's the collective bargaining agreement. And there very well could be a work stoppage. I don't know, but I'm saying there's there's a strong possibility that it could happen. And you think it's bad right now? Wait until it happens. Because it's a possibility. Yeah, uh, the,
0: my, my my yeah my my greatest fear is because again, uh, first and foremost, yes, you work in the game, but but you're also a baseball fan. You love you love the sport, and to see damage done to the sport, uh, I, I, I I'm loath to see that, and uh, I I really hope that somehow cooler heads prevail after 2020, and and hopefully you know, before this thing hits the air, they come to some resolution. I'll, I'll finish with this topic on, on with this question. Where, where does the resolution lie? Is it, is it ultimately going to be 75 games and the players are going to play for 90% of, of prorated or, or do you think they'll hold to their guns? Do you have a feel?
2: Um, if I had to go with my gut feeling, I would say that they're going to, they're going to hold out for a hundred percent of that, that salary. Right, that's pro ready. Yeah, I think they're gonna hold out for it. I mean, what do they have to lose? I mean, we talk about '94. Yes, it devastated the sport, but it, it rebounded pretty well. I and mean, probably took a little while, but it did. And yeah. at this point, a lot of those guys who are who are uh, these young guys and and the, the veterans, they're not fighting for it. them. They're fighting for the generation that's coming after them. And I think that is major.
0: Yeah, they'll say, they'll, I would say I would say this, and you know this to be true. Most people aren't as fortunate, you know, as you or Nolan Arenado or uh, you know your your buddy Michael Kadire, who we had on a couple of weeks ago, who have long and very you know lucrative type of careers. Most guys, you know, play two or three years, maybe, and that's you know sixty percent of the league, and so they lose a year of salary. Uh, it, it's hard to recoup that down the road. So. Uh, it, it, it's interesting to see how it plays out. I want to, I want to take you back because you said you don't remember the first half of your career. So I'm going to take you to the last 10 years of your career and the 07 Rockies of which you were a prominent member. Did you at all see that kind of run coming? Did you at, at any point earlier in the season say, boy, you know, the makeup of this team, if we can get it together, we can be
2: really special. Well, I always felt like that, but we never, we never quite gave me a reason to believe it. I felt like it, but we never gave, never gave me a reason to believe that. Because when we were pitched, we pitched well, we didn't hit well, we hit well, we we gave it up on the mound. I mean, we just never could, could put together um, a series where we did everything we needed to do to win the game. And at the end of the day, You know, we stuck. We stuck in. We hung in there. We stayed close enough. Um, You know, probably in August we started to figure out ways how to win games as opposed to figuring out every way how to lose a game. And you know, with a little magic and um, some guys stepping up and coming, you know, coming through big time, we were able to um, to do something pretty pretty damn special.
0: When you were in the midst of it, or maybe now looking back on that unbelievable run i think it's one of the greatest runs in the history of of the sport and certainly if if you guys were the yankees or the red Sox or or the dodgers it would be celebrated as such Uh, but when you look back on that can you point your finger and say you know what i remember it was this moment or or a couple of moments that really stood out
2: i remember when helton hit the home run off of Saito for the dodgers the walk-off home run Mm That's one of the games that I remember very vividly, and I remember the playing game. Everything else in between was a blur. <laughs> right, <laughs> it was a blur. But that walk-off, Todd Helton hit was that was, I mean, that was a defining moment for me. That was the f- defining moment. I mean, he, you know, we were down and didn't look good, and ultimately that game like meant the world. When we when we turn back the clock and, and look at everything how we played, that game meant everything. Yeah, because that we lost that game, it wouldn't have been a playing game.
0: <laughs> no, and you know what's interesting, and you may or may not know this, and I've I've told this story a couple of times, uh, you know, on broadcast, and I've I told it on the podcast. When Holiday, when Maddie lined that single to right against Saito, and remember this is September, and you play the Dodgers nineteen times in Saito's closing games, that was the first hit that the Rockies had had against Saito the whole year. So not only had he thrown up zeros, he literally had thrown a no hitter against the Rockies until Matt had the base hit. And then of course, you know, Todd hits one in the bullpen and, and he's, he's not big on emotion. He was a teammate of yours. You know that. And and to see the, the emotion he had there. And then ultimately the other, I guess, shot that I'll always remember is when the, the 27th out in game four against Arizona, which propelled you guys to the world series. You know, he, he really let it out that, that had to be interesting, you know, for you having played even at that point for, for a long period of time to go to the series and to see that kind of reaction from a player like Helton.
2: Yeah. It's, um, I understand how he felt, you know, a lot of the young guys really don't understand because, you know, when you're young and you, you're experiencing that in your mind, you're going to experience that every year in baseball, but when you get some, when you get some, um, some, some years on your baseball card, you understand how hard it is to get to those, those, that, those points in your career. And you start to cherish them just a little bit more every year. And I mean, I completely understood the emotions that he had, but I had been there before. I had never been to the World Series. And I think had we won the World Series, that's where my emotions probably would have come out. Because I had been to that, to the American League Championship Series before. And I completely understand the emotions that, that held, held and released. I understand it.
0: You had a strong postseason. You you really pitched well. I mean you, you had a you had a really good 0-7 period, uh, but you had a strong postseason.
2: Is that a blur also, your appearances? You know what? I, yep. All I remember is giving up a run in the in the um in the World Series um their third baseman stole second off of me. You had a base hit. He stole second, and I don't think they got a hit to score. Um, what was his name? Played with the Marlins too. Oh, Mike Mike Lowell. Mike Lowell, yeah, yeah. I think he stole second on me, and he's not a burner. No, nope. and that was the only time I pitched in the World Series. I pitched in one game. Yeah, that do, do you
0: do you like many of your teammates? And you know, I talked to Spilly and and Sully about this quite a bit. Uh, that. Had there not been a nine-day layoff, because you guys were on such a roll, not necessarily you would have won the series, but it would have
2: been a different series. Is is that a fair statement? That's a fair statement. I think about it all the time. They changed that rule because of us. Is that right? Yeah, like they don't have the an off anymore like we used to. They changed okay. the off day, the travel schedule and all that. But, yeah, I, I do think – I can't say we would have – I would say we would have had a – we would have gave them a run for their money and we would have had a chance to win because we were playing the best baseball of any team, which was proven down the stretch, even in the playoffs. So I always tell when I talk about it, we were a victim of our own success with the two sweeps. Yeah, yeah. We were victims of our own success. But you can't turn back the hands of time. Uh, It was a great run. We had a great time that year. I mean, that last six weeks was absolutely amazing. There is nothing that could ever take that away. Um just looking forward to the Rockies, you know, getting back to the World Series and winning the World Series. So I don't like to be coming back every 10 years and we're the only team that's ever done it. <laughs> that's not fun,
0: <laughs> right? I, I want I want to take you back though. Hands of time are going to take you back now to 2015. You you were back with the Rockies in 14. Uh you had another terrific year. You were closing games. I think you went 20 out of 23 in save situations once you take you know, took over. And then 2015, and 2015, I think for hardcore Rockies fans, will always be remembered as when when Troy got traded. Well, it's not a footnote, certainly to you, and it's not a footnote to hardcore Rockies fans. Along in that trade to Toronto went one Latroy Hawkins, and it was a surreal day in Chicago. Um, I remember talking to Troy um, and. Do you recall your emotions that day? And looking at, at Troy, who probably felt at that time like he was going to be, you know, an iconic Rocky, going to be a Rocky like Todd Helton, play fifteen, seventeen years there, and 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 have his number retired. Do Do you remember that day? Maybe the flight to Toronto. I don't know if you shared one, but I do, I do remember
2: that day very vividly. Um, plus, it was at it was at the end of my career, so yeah, I got memories of that, Drew. Um, I just remember in that game, it was a long game, and I had warmed up like three or four times, and I was like, man, this game is taking forever. And I remember Troy grounded out the third to Bryant. Bryant threw the ball up the line. The first race had to come up. He tagged Tulo, and I thought Tulo got hurt because he didn't go back out to shortstop. And I'm like, oh, man, dang, he got hurt? And we ended up losing that game. Going up to the dugout, I mean, to the clubhouse, they were saying you know, they think Tulo got traded and they don't want anybody to leave the clubhouse. And I'm like, no, that's not going to fly. I got family here. I got classmates here. I'm headed to Indiana to spend the night at my grandparents' house because I told them I'll be there and we we'll go to breakfast. And, you know, so I get in the clubhouse. I get undressed. I go down and meet all my people. And, you know, everybody's asking, where everybody at? I said, oh, they got to stay in the clubhouse because so they saying Tulo got traded. So I, you know, greet all my people, they leave, I get on a bus to go, to go back to the hotel to get the car and drive to Indiana. Well, I'm on the phone with my wife and my other phone rings and it's, um, it's British. And he was say, hey, you Detroit, it's Jeff Brightish. I want to let you know, we just traded too low for to the Rockies and you're in the deal also. And I was kind of spelling And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, damn, dude, there's 28 other teams in the United States, and you traded me to the only team out of the country? (laughs) I was not a happy camper, man. So I was like, all right, thank you. Now I can't go to Indiana because, you know, everything's going on. And I called my grandmother when I got to the hotel. And I was like, Grandma, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to come and spend a night and take y'all a breakfast because I got traded. You know, you can still come. I said, I can Grandma, but I got to get to Toronto. <laughs> Not knowing Toronto was like a 55-minute flight from Chicago. I had no clue. That's pretty but it was sure. so close. No <laughs> clue. Um, and I always carry my passport with me. So I went right to Toronto. I was on a 7 a.m. flight the next day. And Tulo wasn't on a flight with me because Tulo didn't have his passport with him. His passport was back in Colorado. So he came a day, a day late. I was there for that next game. and I think he came probably the next day. So, I mean, it was, I mean, it was, I mean, I didn't, I knew that there was a possibility I could be traded. But when he told me he was trading me to Toronto, and that's the first thing I thought, that's the only team out of the country, and he traded me to that team. But it ended up being a great experience. Toronto is an incredible city. Um I would like to say it's the best city in North America. Um, I had so much fun. Uh, we won the American League East, which not a a lot of guys can say they part of a team that won the East because it's one of those league, those divisions that's so competitive every year against some really good teams. We won it that year. Um, made the playoffs, uh, didn't, you know, didn't advance to the World Series, but. Um, I was satisfied with the way my career ended, and I had no hard feelings. And you know what? Toronto was great
0: to me. It was great. Well, Hawk, you about played for every team in North America. If I counted right, you played for 11 teams in the Rockies twice. Is that right? That's correct. And you pitched in over 1,000 games. I didn't even look this up. Where are you on the list of all-time appearances? Number 10, 1,042. That that's that is something that I would assume you are really proud
2: of. You ought to be. Yes. yes, I am. I'm very proud. I, you know what, and and when I came back, I was the last year. Well, the last second to the last game in 2007. I mean, 14. Um, it was the day I I got to a thousand appearances. So I ended the season in 2014 with a thousand appearances and. At the beginning of the year, I talked with, with Walt Weiss and somebody else, and you know, we talked about my, um, you know, what I was trying to accomplish. You know, if it didn't interfere with what, what we were trying to do as a team, it would be nice to co- accomplish it. And, you know, Walt put me in some good situations to be able to do that, and I appreciate him for
0: doing that. Yeah, I and I, I do. I remember when you made that 1,000th uh, appearance in – that is that is a ridiculous amount of games for a pitcher to uh, participate in over 21 seasons. You know, I take you way back to your days in, in Gary, Indiana. Uh, was it always going to be baseball, or could you have been a college basketball player and, and maybe never have uh, played professional baseball?
2: College basketball player. I just, you know, my grandfather told me, he's like, man, you're a much better baseball player than you basketball. I was like, why would you say that? He said, "Because you got more opportunities on a baseball field, you can play multiple positions. And there's twenty-five guys on a the team, there's only twelve guys on a basketball team. You do the math." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay."
0: And even at six
2: foot five, you know, you're dime a dozen, right? Yeah, exactly, and I and I was a good athlete, but I'm sure nothing special <laughs> to the other four hundred thousand guys in the country with my same build and same athleticism.
0: Well, speaking of good athletes, um, your your I believe he's your godson. He's pretty good football player, am I right? Who wasn't a bad baseball player either. He's okay, yeah, he's okay. Tell everybody who your godson is. Godson is Patrick Mahomes. He may be he's he may be like the next Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. He's the next big thing. Well, he's already a big thing. He's a Super Bowl champion. He's a great looking kid. He does everything right. I mean, he's he's now the face of the NFL, isn't he?
2: He is but I don't know if it's cool. And I mean, we should be t- talking about this on your on your show, Drew, because they're all Bronco fans, and he definitely gets to the Broncos every time they face each other.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know Bronco fans say, saying, "Hey, this year's going to be this year's going to be a new year." But he's one of those guys that that I I just think if you love athletics and certainly if you love football. Other than when he plays the Broncos, if you're Bronco, I mean, you gotta you gotta love watching him play. He's just so exciting. He's so gifted, and he's having fun doing it. At least it it certainly yeah. appears that way.
2: Yeah, he definitely has fun. He's a, he's a very intelligent young man, a very bright, uh, photographic memory. But you know, I have to tell the kids, man, he played three sports: baseball, basketball, and football. He wasn't just a football player. So everything he did in baseball and in basketball, he incorporates that in the football. That's why he's able to, you know, make those throws, because he plays shortstop. That's why he's able to be explosive when he needs to be explosive, because he played basketball. I mean, he was – and, you know, football is a lot of going vertical. I mean, going horizontal, but you know what? He can go vertical, too. You've seen some of the jump passes, and I think just being a well-rounded athlete, has definitely contributed to his success on Sundays. Was his dad disappointed that that he didn't
0: pursue baseball because, of course, his dad was a major league pitcher?
2: Not at all. You know, it was always his decision what he wanted to do. And, you know, he he could have still got drafted in baseball his junior year. Uh, But he chose, you know, baseball had been in his blood his whole life. Football was new to him, so it was definitely a challenge. And once he got to college, it became a real challenge because, it was hard as hell to do both, play baseball and football, and you know, win a job. Well, I think
0: he made the right decision
2: ultimately. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> hey, Hawk, I'll le- I'll leave you
0: with this question. You uh, you're working now for the Twins in the front office. You 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 do some broadcasting as well. The old five years from now, where are you? Are you a GM? Are you doing something else? Tell us what you think five years from now.
2: Uh, five years from now, I would I would likely, I would love to be you know transitioning to you know possibly being a GM uh, or very close advisor to a GM. Um, you know I enjoy what I do now with the Twins. I get to be a hybrid. I get to you know touch our organization at every level. I mean, I get to do a little bit of anything I want to do. So, I mean, I do have a pretty darn good job now, but I would love to get into. You know, probably, you know, hopefully into the uh, general managing thing and creating a putting the team together and everything that goes into it.
0: Well, Hawk, it, it's great catching up. Uh, I always enjoyed our conversations when when you were in Denver on two occasions, and uh, I look forward to our paths crossing again down the road. Stay well, and um, again, it's good good to hear from you. And I know fans
2: will uh, appreciate hearing your voice. Thanks for reaching out, Drew. When you get to Dallas, give me a call. I come watch out play.
0: Yeah. You know what? I will see you in a couple of weeks, my friend. All right. Be good. You got it. Take care, Hawk. Bye-bye.
1: Latroy Hawkins brought to you by Ideal Home Loan. So you, both you and I, fans of Latroy, do you have a fun Latroy story? Or do you have a Latroy Hawkins story about when he played? Or even, even on or off the field? Because he's 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 kind of a magnetic personality. He's a fun guy to get in a conversation with.
0: Yeah, he's a pro's pro. and. He was ageless. The body never changed. The fastball never changed. I mean, even even in 2015, the first part with the Rockies, and then, of course, he went with Tulewitzki, as we discussed, to Toronto. He still threw 95 miles an hour, Julie. He had a really smooth delivery, and he was exceptionally well-respected throughout the game by uh, first and foremost, his teammates. And, you know, he played for 11 different teams, the Rockies twice, 21 years, and and the opponents also. Uh, Latroy um, embodied everything that is right about the game of baseball. And I'm glad that he's still in the game with the Minnesota Twins. Um, he He was fun to visit with, not only, you know, yesterday for me, but he was fun back when he played uh, for the Rockies because he was like Michael Kadire. Remember, I referred to Kadire as an adult. The Hawk <laughs> was an adult. You know, th- right. th- those two guys really similar. Bright, sharp, interesting. um who's the guy on the Rockies
1: team now? Like, who? I mean, they're all individuals, but who's that guy that you like having well, that conversation with?
0: You know, the first guy that jumps to mind, and, and when I say this, I don't want to, you know, say it to the exclusion of other people because there's, I, 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 there's so many good guys on the Rockies, and I applaud Dick Monfort for, for historically, uh, the Rockies, even in the lean years when they weren't very good, they have really high character people in the clubhouse, and it's, it's something that's really important to them. I mean, the, the draft is taking place is. As we talk right now, in fact, the first round is over. Zach Veen, it's not over, but the Rockies pick is is done. They took a a high school kid out of Florida that's really well thought of, an outfielder, Zach Veen. Billy Schmidt and his crew have done a a super job in terms of incorporating in their analysis – character Mm -hmm. and so there's there's always been a lot of great guys to answer your question a guy that jumps to mind right away is scott oberg who's been a guest on a couple of occasions with you and me on this podcast you know scott is is sharp um has uh you know eclectic interests and um you know he he's always a a good guy to visit with. I'll tell you, a guy who's not a Rocky anymore that I always enjoyed, you know, chatting on uh, numerous topics with, and that was Chris Ionetta. You know, mm-hmm. Chris is uh, Chris is also uh, an interesting guy, sharp dude.
1: Hopefully, that you get to see those guys pretty soon. Great interview by Latroy Hawkins. Um, so I think that's it. I, I love you know. You know what I'm going to ask you, Drew. What
0: are you going to ask me?
1: What are you doing tomorrow?
0: You know what I'm doing tomorrow, Julie? I'm going up to Cheyenne, Wyoming.
1: What are you doing there?
0: I am, you know, I'm coaching baseball. I'm coaching uh, my youngest son, Gabe's team, with a couple other guys, helping out there. And I'm also helping out overall with uh, uh, USA Prime Baseball, so helping out with some other teams. And there's uh, a few teams from down our way playing up in Cheyenne. And so I'll be up there for about forty-eight hours, and uh, looking forward to that.
1: Drew, are you available for hire? Basically, is what you're saying.
0: I am available for hire, <laughs> and I have very few talents, but I will try to apply those very few talents to whatever <laughs> job you may have.
1: Just go to the Drew Goodman Podcast.com if you would like to hire Drew. Did
0: they put? Did Kyle put that on the website this week that I will <laughs> that I'm available for hire?
1: Are you handy, by the way?
0: No, I'm not handy, but that's part of the thing. That's part of my charm. I can, I, I can do very very little, but I'll try really hard.
1: <gasps> okay. Why did I already know the answer? Drew, have a wonderful evening, and I will uh, see you next week. Have fun and in Cheyenne.
0: Br- yeah. Before I let you go, you didn't drop your dinner on the floor again this week, <laughs> oh, did you? No. And you are you eating more something more substantive than cottage cheese?
1: Um, I had cereal for dinner.
0: Oh my gosh. You know what? I'm going Here's what I'm gonna do, and you don't even have to pay me. I'm gonna write out. A menu for you to do. And and you know what? Huh. You, I don't know how you do it, but you keep your beautiful figure and you're in great shape and you eat like crap.
1: <laughs> you're totally right. And thank you.
0: <laughs> All right. Everybody have a great week. Stay well. Stay safe. Peace.
1: Work, 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 work. You see me do me